You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. pastors here. I welcome you all. We're glad you're here. Um, we're looking at the Gospel of Mark, but we're going backwards through the Gospel of Mark. So um, we're starting with the end and then we're moving towards the beginning. And um, that way we kind of see it from a new perspective. If you're, if you're brand new, uh, we're doing this to kind of imagine the way that um, you know, a director might make the life of Jesus in such a way as to kind of startle you and to help you see it from a whole new point of view. Uh, and so uh, we're moving from uh, the, res- the resurrection, which was the very first sermon, uh, to the birth, which will be the very last one. Um, so kind of reading right to left, the way you read Hebrew. And um, there are two parts of Mark. So we, we looked at the second part first. And the second half of the book of Mark, he's all about the mission of Jesus. Why did he come? What did he come here to do? And the short answer is he came to die and to rise. So that's the second part. Um, we looked at the resurrection and then the actual crucifixion, the Lord's Supper, and then the nature of the kingdom that he came to establish, the kingdom where we also die and rise. So that was the second half. Now we're moving to the first half, which is about his identity. Um, not so much why did he come, but who is this person? Who, who, the first part of the Gospel of Mark is trying to get the reader to figure out who is this. So he gives all these stories, and the answer is he's the Messiah. Um, he is the Son of God. So um, we looked at first how when Peter says, uh, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. That was the first sermon in the first half. Uh, And then we looked at how he was the provider last week, the one who fed the 5,000, the way that Yahweh fed Israel in the desert. Whatever Yahweh said and did, uh, the God of Israel, Jesus says and does. And so we looked at that last week. And now this week, we're looking at the way he cleans people. Uh, the, The new covenant that God made promised in Jeremiah 31, 31. It said that um, I will clean my law and I will put that law on their heart. And so they will now be able to obey me from the inside out, not the outside in. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about cleaning our hearts. And to clean our hearts, first he has to make the law sparkle and clean. So imagine some water that's very dirty and he purifies that water and then uh, he takes that water and he cleans us with it. So first he has to clean the law and scrub it with all the mold of tradition um, that the Pharisees had layered on top of that, all the crud. He cleans that off, and then he uses that law that is now pure and beautiful to clean us out. You know, the way you would clean a, a hydro flask or something like that out, or a pot or a pan, you're not going to use dirty water to clean that. You're going to use clean water. So he first cleanses the law, and he uses that law to cleanse our hearts. So that's the, I want to look at those two things. First, the way he restores the law. And you know, imagine restoring a home or restoring a painting or restoring a piece of furniture. That's the first thing he does is he restores the law and he rids it of all the mold of tradition. He reveals its original beauty. And then he takes that law and he cleans our hearts with it. Deep down in our hearts. 
from within. Not externally, not just do all these things, but I'm going to make you want to do it. Okay, so those two things, law restore and then the cleanser of the hearts. First of all, verse 8, um, we see what the uh, religious leaders of the time were doing. And I think we do that today still. Uh, we do what I'm about to say as well. Religious leaders still do this. Um, verse 8 is kind of the gist of it. You leave the commandment of God. That's the Ten Commandments. You depart from them in order to hold to the tradition of men, to human tradition. To uh, that which human beings make up, essentially. Rules that we make up. In other words, we substitute our own rules for God's eternal law. And in place of the ten laws, we have our hundreds of rules. That's what he's saying. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Um, and he gives an example of that here. Uh, the, the Pharisees were obsessed with cleanliness laws. Where literally you're cleaning your hands with, with water. So verse 5, um, the Pharisees come to Jesus' disciples and he said, they say, why do your disciples eat with defiled hands? In other words, they are not going through the ritual purity laws um, that the Pharisees had implemented. Now, there are some laws in the Old Testament about how you're supposed to clean, um, especially the priests. But they have taken those few laws and they have expanded them, as we always do with God's law. They expanded those laws and they got fixated on this kind of uh, radical, you know, spotlessness. Uh, so look at verse 3. This is a translation from the message, uh, which is not actually a strict translation. But it's Eugene Peterson's um, interpretation of the Bible. I'll read it from his version. Uh, verse 3 says, They never eat a meal without going through the motions of a ritual hand washing, with especially vigorous scrubbing, if they had just come from the market. To say nothing of the scourings they would give to jugs and pots and pans. It's kind of like, you know, your dad's a really nice car and you didn't ever want to touch that car like a BMW. If your dad had a really, really nice car, he kept it really clean. It's almost kind of this relentless desire for cleanliness. Almost Germanic. You know, if you know the Germans, um, it's that intense desire for something to be clean. That's what the Pharisees had. Um, it's the way that uh, I personally love my car to be clean, so I have this brush in my car, and I'm always brushing out on the carpets. It's kind of famous in my family. Dad's got the brush out. Brushing out uh, the carpets to get everything out of there to make it spotless. Um, that is what they were like. They loved order. So they would say, like, if you were here tonight, you know, you need to dress up. Uh, you need to sit up straight. You need to make no noise. And you need to be on time. That's kind of the way they would approach church. Um, which is very appealing to me. You know, a friend of mine said once um, he was frustrated with his wife and children uh, that they were not getting to church on time. And so he said to them, you've had all week to get here on time. How could you be late? And uh, that, that's the kind of thing that I like to say. You know, I'm, I'm all about being on time. Uh, you've had all week to get here on time. What, what, how could you be late? Um, that's what the Pharisees were like. They, they took things that were good general guidelines, like, again, cleaning hands is not a bad thing. They took those general guidelines, and then they lifted them up to the level of deity, thus saith the Lord. And that's what we do as well. So we do things like, you know, if you wear tight clothes, or if the skirt is too short, uh, or if you have certain kinds of music, like rap music with cursing, um, you can't listen to that. If you have any kind of movies with any scenes with any kind of nudity, you should not watch that movie. You should not watch that TV show. These are not bad ideas. 
But when you take them to the level of thus saith the Lord and you judge people on those, that's what the Pharisees were doing. And Jesus would say, that's idolatry. Because you're taking your own ideas and you're lifting them up to the level of God. In the meantime, you're often tearing down the Ten Commandments of God uh, because you're lifting up your own laws. And a lot of times we do this to kind of check the boxes. You know, if we have these external laws that we know we can keep, then we can check those off and feel clean about ourselves. So you go through the different motions of things you need to do, and you feel good about yourself. And what Isaiah says, Jesus quotes him here, um, he says that allows you to go through the motions. You have all these boxes you just check, and you keep these external rules. That allows you to go through the motions and actually distances your heart from God. So he says in verse 6, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They say all the right things, but in their heart, they're very far from God. There's no intimacy with God. And there's no real passion for God's law. There's not this deep desire to keep God's law. And the example that he gives is honor your father and your mother, which is one of those commandments that's difficult. Difficult commandment. This is Eugene Peterson again, verse 11. Um, Jesus says to the Pharisees, You weasel out of honor thy father and mother by saying that it's perfectly fine to say, What I owed to you, mom and dad, I have now given as a gift to God. So I know I owed you money, and I, was go- I told you I was going to help you, but instead of helping you, I'm going to give that money to God. And that was the way they were avoiding keeping the Ten Commandments of honor your father and your mother, which is a kind of a weird example It doesn't register exactly because how many of us really do that kind of thing? Um, Give money to the church instead of our parents. But here's kind of the basic idea is you look really good. You want to look really good at church. um, Maybe your small group or prayer meeting and you say all the right things. And people say, look how much he loves God. He's so on fire for God. Isn't she an amazing Christian? She sings. Or he, he reads the scripture or, you know, liturgist or whatever it is. All these great things for God. Always serving people. But then you get home and you, you're with your parents and you're like testy, impatient, irritable. That's what Jesus is getting at. You, you keep all these rules. You do all these things to make yourself look good religiously. But then you get with your parents. And there's something about parents. It's obviously very hard here because he chooses that example. He wants to skewer them with that commandment. Honor your father and your mother. And he knows that we weasel out of that commandment by looking good in other religious ways. And, you, you know, the frustration is Jesus is like, you're so worried about your hands and you can't even love your mom. You know, you're so worried about keeping these, these little traditions that you make up and you, you will not even obey one of my ten commandments. I love Matthew 23, 24. Uh, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you swallow a camel, but you strain a gnat. Now think about what he's saying. You, you're willing to swallow a whole camel, but a little tiny gnat, and you, like, you choke it up. It's kind of like this. Uh, I'll, have a, you know, I'll have a double stack Baconator with large fries uh, and a large Frosty and a Diet Coke. You know, you, you strain at, uh, at this little gnat of the Diet Coke, but you swallow, like, you know, thousands of calories. You swallow and you strain this one little gnat. That's what Jesus is talking about here. 
Uh, he says you tithe your little mint. Every single little spice you have, you tithe 10%. Your mint and your dill and your cumin. But you neglect the weightier matters of the law. Righteousness and justice. And evangelicals are famous for this. We have our little rules. We keep all our rules. Check all the boxes. But then the weightier matters of the law of justice and righteousness. You don't really care about those things. Not a big deal. And Jesus comes and he clears away the hypocrisy and he reveals the beauty of the law, including to honor your father and your mother. We were in uh, the, the Vatican in 1991. And uh, if, if you've ever been to the Vatican, St. Peter's Cathedral, there's one part of the Vatican that is tied to St. Peter's Cathedral. It's right next to it. It's the Sistine Chapel. It's this beautiful ceiling where it has that famous picture of Adam and God touching fingers. And half of it was uh, restored and the other half was not restored. And you could see right where, right where the two met, which is kind of like right where that finger was. One half was very gray, muted colors, kind of moldy. And then the other half, the colors were just stunning and bright. They just pop. And that's what Jesus does to the law. He comes and all these moldy traditions that we create, he just cleans it off. And he says, you have heard it said, uh, you shall not murder. And I'm saying to you, you cannot even be angry with someone. He, make, he, he intensifies the law. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And I say to you, you shall not even look at a woman with lustful intent. So he is deepening the power of the law. He comes to clean it off. And when you hear the word Ten Commandments, or the phrase, when you hear that phrase Ten Commandments, you know, what do you think of? Um, what comes to mind when you think of Ten Commandments? I, I think a lot about the courtroom and all the debates we've had about courthouses and the Ten Commandments on the courthouses that Christians got all upset about in the 90s. Um, and I think about oftentimes when I would hear Ten Commandments growing up, I thought repressive, controlling, restrictive. And Jesus is like, no, I want you to imagine a city where uh, everyone honors the elderly. And uh, everybody rests really well, and they take naps, and they sleep in, and they pay their employees really well. And business owners don't uh, you know, mess with their employees and pay them late or pay them very little or work them just, just a few hours so they don't have to pay you know, full benefits. Imagine a city where they never objectify women, where there's no gossip. That's what he's saying. I, the law is beautiful. And you come along, and you take all these moldy traditions, and you cover up my father's law. And the sad thing is we think that we'll be free if we rid ourselves of the law. But the reality is it's just the opposite. When you get rid of the law, you don't find freedom, you find more and more rules. So you get rid of, a, you get rid of the Ten Commandments, you have a thousand rules in its place. You know, don't drink, don't vape, don't get out of shape, don't say the wrong thing, recycle, compost, solar panels, no SUVs, no suburbs. No GMOs, local food, fair trade, organic. And I could go on and on and on and on about all the rules we've made as a culture. And if you step out of line, you get punished. And God says, there's 10 of them. There's only 10 of them. And I want you to keep those. And I'm going to clean the others away. And keep the 10. Because they're beautiful. So that's the first point. He restores the law. Second point is he takes that beautiful law and he cleans the heart. All the way down to the heart. And this is the second half of the passage. He says in verse 15... Nothing outside of a person could go into him and defile him. That is so profound. It's the exact opposite message of most religion. Most religion says you make sure that everything around you is 
clean and, uh, and that there's nothing external to you that's off and you look good and then you're fine. And Jesus says the main problems in life are not things that are outside of your heart. They're not out there. Um, they're, they're not things like food, drink, smoke, drugs. Uh, in verse 18, they, they enter not the heart, but the stomach and are expelled. So none of these, none of, nothing made of matter, put it that way, nothing with atoms in it uh, can actually make you defile. Uh, nothing can go into you to make you unclean or sinful. It's all in here coming out. It's all an arrow coming out, not, no arrows going in. This, this, another way to think about this is external circumstances cannot make you sin. And nor can any external circumstances save you. So you could raise your child eating the healthiest food, getting the most sleep, going to the best schools, having the best parents, hearing the greatest preaching on earth, and they could be a drug dealer when they grow up. And that should give you relief if you're a parent. That should give you relief. That no amount of external circumstances can protect you from sin. Nor can they make you sin. Because your main problem is your evil thoughts that are boiling around inside of you and bubbling up from inside. Out of the heart, verse 21, comes the evil thoughts. And sometimes people think Jesus is a really nice guy who thought everybody was really cool. But what he says here in verse 21 is... A devastating critique of humanity. I mean, no prophet, no one in the Old Testament had a more incisive critique of human nature than Jesus. He did not think people were really neat. And like we were really easy to trust. He didn't think we were like really good people. He says, out of the heart come porneia, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander. All those things are running the opposite direction of the Ten Commandments. So, porneia, <clears throat> that's sexual immorality. Uh, theft. You know, think of the th- murder, adultery. These are all breaking the commandments. Covening, deceit, uh, shouldn't lie, you know, sensuality, envy, slander, uh, don't speak against people. All the Ten Commandments he's saying we break in our hearts. Our hearts are always bubbling over. And here's the thing. When you have a really negative view of human nature, it doesn't mean you're mean to people. It's actually the opposite. If you have a really high view of human nature and you think people are really great, then you're going to hold them to a very high standard. You're going to be very frustrated with them, very angry with them. If you have a very low view of human nature, if your bar is really, really low about what a person is like, you're going to be very patient with people. Uh, a lot of times you're irritable with people because you think they should be able to uh, like keep this certain level uh, of morality that they're not keeping, that you think you keep. But if you have a really realistic Christ-centered view of human nature, you realize uh, we should be so gracious to people because we can't, our hearts are bubbling up with pornea, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, deceit, sensuality, envy, and slander. When you see people that way, you can be really, really patient with them. You can be really patient with your children, knowing what's going on in their hearts. They don't have it easy. They've got this stuff going on in their hearts they can't even figure out. Um, We cannot fix ourselves. There cannot be an external solution. When, you're, when your toilet stops up, you, you, you don't pour in clean water. There's no, that's not an ex, there's no external solution. You go get a plumber. The plumber comes. They go into your basement. They get to the bottom of it. Uh, a few months ago, we had our entire front lawn torn up because the, pl- the plumbing problem was so deep. And they had to go so deep down, they had to tear our front lawn up. And Jesus came to get that deep. To get way down underneath all the pipes at the very root of it all and clean us from there. 
Not externally, but internally. And religion tries to fix you and say, here's a set of rules to obey. And politics tries to control you. Here are all these laws we can pass, and that'll make things right. And Jesus says, no, I've come to clean you. And I've come to give you my nature, to put it inside of you. Where, where you used to curse people, and now you want to encourage them. And, and you used to hate losing money or spending money at all, and now you actually want to give it away. That's the kind of change he can make. He can clean you from way down inside. And you know, you can no more reach into your heart and clean yourself than your nose could get like a speck out of your eye. It just can't be done. You cannot reach down into your heart and clean yourself. There's no way that we can save ourselves because the problem is deeper than we can reach. We cannot go down into our hearts and get down there and clean ourselves. Someone's got to clean us for us. Uh, I first saw uh, Les Mis, the musical, in 1991 in London, uh, the Palace Theater, Charing Cross Road. Uh, I still picture you know, the way that, that, um, that place looks and sitting outside of that. Uh, no idea what it was going to be about. I just heard everybody say, you've got to see Les Mis. So I went to see Les Mis. And um, I was not a Christian. And I was just blown away uh, by the whole thing. But especially this one scene, which is the turning point of the whole. If you've seen the movie or read the book or seen the musical, this is the turning point. So it's about this man, uh, Jean Valjean, a violent criminal, full of hate, a thief, um, just filled with bitterness, in prison on the galleys. Uh, and he escapes, finally escapes. He's on, he's on the run. Uh, the, the police are out to find him. And this really kind bishop takes him into his home and offers him asylum and a place to rest. And he feeds him. This happens early on. <laughs> I'm not spoiling anything. Uh, and, and so Jean Valjean is... And... Um, you can tell the way it's affected him, but it, it doesn't get down into his heart. It, it's not enough to reach into the bitterness in his heart. And so that night, um, he devises a plan where he's going he's to steal the bishop's silver and run away, and he's going to use that to, to make his fortune. So uh, sure enough, he steals all the silverware, silverware from the bishop's house. He runs away, and, they, and the police catch him. And uh, the police bring him back to the bishop. And they say, look at what this criminal has done. He's stolen this whole sack of, of silver, your best silver. And the priest says, uh, oh, sir, uh, you forgot your candlesticks that I gave you as well. And he takes his two best candlesticks and he puts them in the bag. And Valjean is at that point just completely stunned by the grace that's offered him. And then the part that always gets me is when the police leave and the bishop is face to face with Jean Valjean, he sings uh, this line that is uh, just so beautiful. Where and you've got to hear, you've got to hear the way it's sung. But I'm not going to sing it. But he says, "Jean Valjean, my brother, use this silver to become an honest man. You belong no longer to evil, but to good. And it is your soul that I buy from you. I withdraw from it black thoughts, and I give it now to God." And Jesus bought us for God. He bought us for God. And that's the only thing that can draw out the evil. That's the only thing that can draw out the evil, dark thoughts in our hearts, is that we were bought not with silver candlesticks, but with the blood of Christ. 
And when you start to believe that, then he actually starts cleaning. Verse 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from our sins. That doesn't mean blood literally gets into you. His blood doesn't literally get into you. That means that when you meditate on the sacrifice of Christ and what he's done for you, that begins to cleanse you from way deep down. I heard this quote from uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine, who's now, you know, this, this amazing hero. Everyone in the whole world loves uh, Vladimir Zelensky for good reason. And, and we offered, some country offered to airlift him out of Ukraine. You might have heard this. And they said, we'll come and get you and take you out so that uh, the Russians can't take the leader out. And what he said is, I don't want to ride. I want ammunition. And he was like, I am staying here with my people. I'm going to suffer with them. I'm going to fight with them. I'm not going anywhere. And that same kind of leader that we have in him, we have by far even more in our king who goes deep down, you know, deep down into our sin and suffering. He plunges himself down into the basement of our lives and he gets dirty like a plumber. And he does it to clean us from the deepest, deepest part of ourselves. And that's what he gives us in this meal. On the night he was betrayed, on the night that we did our worst to him, you know, way, way more than stealing some silver after he had loved human beings for so long. Three years of healing people, loving people, teaching people, blessing people, hugging people. Um, after all that love he poured out on us, what do we do? We betray him. Remember, we love these rascals.